Blog Talk Radio. My life is leading me down the road that's so uncertain. And now I am left alone and I am broken. Trying to find my way, trying to find the faith that's gone. This time. That you are holding all the answers But I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances On roads that never seem To be the ones that bring me home Give me a revelation Show me what to do to come to you live on this fifth day of July 2016. You can find us at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. Uh, we're going to have a chat room open and available for people to use there. 
The guest call-in number is 516-387-1641. You can find this program archived on iTunes and podcasts. Just search The Kingdom of God or Nothing. And you can find the archives and writings at www.thekingdomofgodornothing.com. So we're continuing on in our reading of the book 95 Thesis by Ogden Kraut. Uh, we are going to be starting with topic 36 apostles, and basically what this book is is uh, how the church has changed over the years. So basically what Ogden does is he compiles a bunch of quotes from general discourses, doctoral history of the church, um, just all a bunch of different uh, places from, you know, from what the apostles and prophets said back, you know, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, scriptures, and then compares them with uh, leadership uh, in his day when he wrote the book back in the 70s, how the church has changed, and it's changed since then as well. Um, and then he wants to make the point, which I want to make as well, that the gospel does not change, but the church does. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the church continually changes, well, their version of the gospel which is the true form of apostasy. This is how the apostasy happened in the Dark Ages. So why are we doing it today? Why are we getting back to the Restoration as it was given by Joseph Smith and the other scriptures, you know? Um, And one thing I keep making a harping point on, and uh, for those of you who listen to this program for the first time, uh, okay, so the church can never lead you astray, right? Oh, the leaders of the church can never lead you astray. It's the constant mantra that you are fed, you know, in primary, well, primary and, uh, you know, and in the Elders Quorum and Relief Society and from the pulpit and all kinds of different places, right? The president can never lead you astray. Well, Virgin Young taught the Adam God doctrine and many other gospels or doctrines from the pulpit in general conference, uh, he had them put in the Journal of Discourses, which he was the editor-in-chief of, and one of them, one of the big ones, is the Adam-God Doctrine. He taught it from the pulpit. He taught that truth that he learned from Joseph Smith in the School of the Prophets from the pulpit. Now, the church today says, that's one of the seven deadly heresies of Brigham Young. So, like, out of one side of the mouth, they're like, hey, uh, the church or the leaders of the church can never lead you astray. Well, you can excommunicate for fighting against the Adam God doctrine back in the days of Brigham Young, John Taylor, well, mostly Brigham Young. But even John Taylor, you know, a lot of people, a lot of presidents of the church taught this, which the church says now is false doctrine. So, according to the modern LDS church, the presidents of the church led the people astray through false doctrine. But then they say that that can't happen. Well, what if the leaders of this church will never lead you astray? That's false doctrine. That actually contradicts scripture. But before we get into any of that, I see that we have Alan here, and uh, I'll see how he's doing. And how you doing, Alan? Doing good. Just uh, working on the week. (laughs) Just uh, get for the 4th of July there, you know. 
Did you do uh, anything? Yeah, we we just read more of the, um, you know, the 95 pieces. My uh, wife and I, as soon as it started getting dark and we heard all these fireworks going off, we got in the van and went down to the park and nobody was doing anything. So I was like, well, let's drive up on the mountain. So we drove up overlooking uh, Utah Valley and watched oh, thousands of fireworks going off, like all over. I mean, you could see all the way across the lake, all the way up to Lehigh, down to Santa Quinn, like just fireworks all, all the way across you know, the other side of the lake, Eagle Mountain, or whatever they call that community over there, you know, I mean, just crazy how many fireworks, and I thought it was funny, because, like, all of these fireworks, and none of them were professional, this was all private citizens going out and buying fireworks, you know, and I was like, and there's a bunch of people up there on on this overlook um, that we were at, you know, Parked there with with our um, vehicle with a blank a blanket out on the gra- uh, well not grass it was inside the mountain but you know watching the fireworks and I was kind of laughing because like most of these people are LDS and they all give the whole mantra you know uh, we believe in following the laws of the land and it's illegal as hell in Utah to have these kind of fireworks and they're out there blasting blasting away you know. I just got to kick out. And I was like, yeah, let's all celebrate freedom when our slave masters allow us to, uh, you know, play with fireworks once or twice a year. This is true freedom. You know? My wife's like, shut up, because other people are around, you know, I'm just like spouting it off, you know. But, yeah, we had fun. I went up there and the uh, baby was pointing at him and talking in her baby talk all about it and, the kids liked it, so it was kind of fun. It's one of Kim's favorite holidays because it was uh, the first holiday that um, she had after she escaped her abuse of ex. So it was her liberation or her independence day, you know, kind of celebration. So, yeah, we uh, we had a lot of fun. What did you do? I just uh, sounded a deck and hung out here with my families kind of they were at different places so didn't do much just rested relaxed that's cool so what is the thing that you sent me on Facebook I'm looking at here it's um, some kind of um, tour which one was it that's the one that you sent me today uh, the sacred site tour Oh, yeah, that's just been tired. Some of the, you know, the temples and, oh, okay. you know, this place. And, Let me, it's breaking up a little bit. I don't know if you're coming across, Claire. I'll yeah, I'm, I'm not in there. Okay, so. I'm not in a good. Oh, that's fine. I'll just read it because I'm still trying to figure out where it came from and like what's going on exactly. But let me read it here. Sacred site tour. Excuse me. In a time beyond time, an ancient people whose close connection to the stars. Let me read this here. Oh, they're still down. And uh, sacredness of the earth, guiding that their very existence. Those who hear the call or return to the ancients, 
where our remnants will gather in celebration of the ancient ways are invited to attend our sacred site tour to these ancient sites in Santee Valley. <clears throat> that sounds very interesting. As we celebrate our freedom on this on this new moon, we intend for blessings of uh, we intend for this blessing of a coming together and claim these prophesied blessings for the remnant. As the energies culminate, culminate at the full moon on the 19th, in alignment with our changing times, we set our intentions now at this new moon and plan to gather and resonate with our divine connections to our sacred home to bring in these exquisite, exquisite energies and connections to these forwarding blessings. Set your intentions for these blessings now, uh, the new the new moon time period, arrangements are being made for the exact time of our sacred site tour and will be announced shortly. Plan on a weekend close to the 19th, probably right after the full moon time period. No sacred blessings. And then there's a, a name there. I'm like, okay. uh, and then there's another name. Uh, Val, somebody's new book written on the remnant explains who the remnant are. Uh, in Old Testament times, the remnant encompassed the little gathering of the 12 tribes. In the Testament times, the remnant are the, Jesus, are the Jesus Christ line, and in the Book of Mormon, much of the Native American people make up the remnants. Uh, in Abraham's blessing, we are informed that the remnant will encompass all those who are of the little bloodline or are called who hear the call and are adopted in. You are welcome to email or invite friends or family who you feel guided to invite. I, I intend all who are to participate to come hold the blessing in your heart until we meet as what we intend as a group. Consciousness will culminate this blessing. We are the remnant embrace the new and everlasting covenant having received a desire to fulfill my sacred calling, claim the fullness of gospel blessings. We are the remnant, those who rise up in the last days who will stand in the truth of who we are. We are the people who come out of the world to build Zion. We are God's people adopted in or who are of the physical spiritual lineage of the house of Israel and, and embody the necessary spiritual gifts in the building up of God's kingdom. We desire through our faith to bring in and claim the full power of God and his marvelous work and wonder, which entails, and, yeah, entails practices and principles that lead to immortality, Encom encompassing complete healing, healings, complete cleanses, and a baptism of fire, and sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise, spiritual gifts will abound, gifts of seership, prophecy, gifts of instantly are gifts to instantly manifest to others, the spirit travel and openly command or issue decrees where all elements obey. You gotta have the fullness of the priesthood to do that. We pray for these blessings in connection of heaven and earth the full return of Jesus Christ who takes us into the presence of our Father and Mother 
bringing to pass eternal life to reside in the glories of the highest heavens. We pray for peace, love, and joy to return to the simple pleasures of life for, for, for us to unite, to come together and build a new community that true Zion without greed, control, and separation as in the past. We believe the true principles in our self-governing and come together for the people governed by the people. We pray for all to receive this great outpouring of the Spirit that is being poured down upon all flesh at this time due to the unprecedented alignments opening Stargates on December 21st, 2012, which culminated in the last blood moon, September 28, 2015, with the opening of the seventh seal. Uh, which others are to follow, preparing us for the event, a planetary baptism of fire. We accept new and everlasting covenant to go direct, no longer relying on the arm of flesh for humanity to receive baptisms of fire and be filled by the Holy Spirit of promise in celestial realms, that of the seventh heaven or even that of higher glories. Uh, let's see here, one last part. It's hard. it's hard to see because I've got this stupid broken computer screen here. We dedicate and consecrate this unto thee in thy holy name, Kadosh Hashem, and sing praises unto thee, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabbenathai, or Sabbath. So that's Hebrew. So anyway, that's interesting. Um, so uh, are you still there, Alan? I'm here. <clears throat> um, so, Can you hear me? Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so that's interesting. This uh, is going to uh, be around the 19th of July. Is that what it is? Right. <clears throat> Yep. Is it going to be a camp right. out in Pete County? Um, there might be some people camping out or stay over. It, it'll oh, be okay. a day thing, you know. Yeah. And right. uh, so uh, people that are um, enlightened as to sacred sites in Tempeke County will be... Right. Uh, <clears throat> Teaching people, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that sounds very interesting. I'm going to have to take the Saturday off and head on down there and just uh, enjoy the festivities and the, the teachings. That, that'd be very interesting. So yeah, um, I won't give the fun. details on this radio program because I don't want people to come disrupt it. But uh, you can always send me more information. What were you going to say? Oh, nothing. All right. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, most definitely you. interesting. Well, like, okay, so just keep me informed about uh, about this, and we can talk later about it. Um, okay, uh, is there a, well, right. actually, your phone's breaking up a ton. 
which yeah, it's really. Am I coming across Clearview, or are you hearing me fine? Uh, you're, you're fine. It's just uh, I'm in the basement where I'm at. Oh. It's a bad, <laughs> bad area in Canyon. <clears throat> it's oh, okay. Buddy. All right. We'll just go ahead and mute your line, and uh, if you have any questions or comments, like always, you can always interrupt me. Um uh, don't stare as if you do. <laughs> that way I can understand what you're saying. Or you can always, you know, send that to me on Facebook. Uh, that's a you know, possibility as well because uh, I get those messages pretty pretty quick. Um, and I'll just leave your line open if you'll just mute it. Uh, anybody get, uh, can call on this program. The phone number is 516-387-1641. That's 516-387-1641. You can also follow me on Facebook and send me messages and all kinds of stuff there. My Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's uh, L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. So, like I said before, we're going to be reading, uh, starting with, um, let's see, topic 36, Apostles. And... Uh, just bring this up here. Emma, can you hand me the, the book with uh, 95 Thesis in it? Yeah, I think I'm just going to read it out of the book tonight, so I have to look at this broken computer screen. I think so, yeah, volume theory. And you just give it to me. How come it's not on the, uh, on the bookmarks, not in the right place? And I don't care about your video games. I used to like video games when I was younger, but it just seems like a complete waste of time to me. Of course, the kids love them, so, you know, we let them play some video games, but it's just not my cup of tea. Oh, I've got too many other things to worry about and learn. Like, if it doesn't edify, I'm just not really interested in it. Like, I guess there's some things, like... With music, I like to listen to different kinds of music, but I don't listen to music very often because it's the same thing over and over and over. Like you hear it once and then you've heard it. I would rather listen to people talking about the gospel or listen to scriptures or listen to, you know, my own podcasts. Because like when I was in college, I used to read the textbooks onto an audio recorder and then I would work every other night. I drove from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. I was in school every day and had like two or three classes usually. And uh, and then every other night I would sleep because uh, I was a crazy truck driver and I could do stuff like that. Back in my 20s, I can't do it anymore. I'd like nuts. But back in the day, like I hate, hate sleeping. I hate the fact that I have to sleep. I only sleep about five hours a night now, and it irritates me that I have to because I I want to be doing stuff. I want to spend my time, like, learning or, you know, like sometimes I like to relax too and watch TV shows and movies and stuff. But, like, I wish I didn't have to sleep. But back then, I could get, go 36, 40 hours easy. I mean, I think the longest I ever stayed awake was like 72 hours straight. Um, of course, then I slept for like a day. But 
you know, things you do when you're in your 20s, which long ago passed me. So, well, not long ago. I'm only 39. All right, so let's uh, I'll dedicate the program, and then we'll get into the reading. Like I said, um, we're going to be reading, starting with Topic 36, Apostles and 95 Thesis. If you're following along in the Enzymes of the Nations, we are on page 1440. If you are following along, let's see. If you're following along in uh, 95 Thesis, we're on page 55. And you can read this book online for free at any time at thekingdomofgodornothing.com. Click on Ogden Kraut and then scroll down to 95 Thesis, uh, spelled out, not the, the numbers that you actually have to go down. It's, alf- it's in alphabetical order. But like I said, we're going to be starting on page 55. So I'll dedicate the program, and we will get right into the reading. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. We dedicate this time unto thee, Father, uh, that we might go over the words of prophets and apostles, uh, both in Scripture and in uh, the different um, books that have been written in our dispensation. We ask thee, Father, to uh, discern proper doctrine by thy Spirit and to see how things have changed, that we might go back to the Restoration and stop following these uh, Judas goats that uh, lead thy people astray. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for thy gospel, and we thank thee for the prophets that have come before and that have taught us true doctrine, and for the Holy Spirit that testifies in the truth. We thank thee, Father, for the atonement of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and for God the Oh, we thank thee, Father, our God, the eternal Father, for preparing this gospel, which does not change, that we might have uh, truth, that we might seek thy face and come back into thy presence. And we ask for thy blessing to be upon us and say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so 36 apostles. Now, let's read uh, the way things were in the 70s and 80s. I think this is mostly in the 70s when this is written, but let's read what the church has to say, and then we'll go back to the actual scriptures and see what scriptures say. I want to say here are the apostles in the 70s. Their businesses are their businesses to warn the nations of the earth and prepare the world for the coming of the Savior. They have been engaged in this more or less. It looks to me that our minds ought to extend somewhat, and we get out, uh, uh, and we get out of the beaten track, and a little change be made. The following day, while commencing, are commending, commenting upon the readiness of which the apostles had considered his remarks, the president said he very much regretted that it should have become necessary for him to call attention of the apostles to their plain duty, that they should have sensed the situation themselves without rendering it necessary for him to point it out to them. Upon this particular occasion, he said there was a or there was no doubt in his mind that the time was near at hand when the Savior would make his appearance. This sounds like um, 
I'm going to look down here and see who's saying this. Oh, this is Joseph F. Smith about Lorenzo Snow's last remarks. Fucking interesting. I, what's also interesting is, like, Boyd K. Packer was all like, uh, you guys don't have to worry about Jesus Christ coming back. It probably won't happen in our lifetime. Like, you know, he said that – you're paraphrasing him. That's basically what he said. And, uh, like, the last general conference, where he, uh, you know, that he was alive, which basically was a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago. Anyway, continuing. So this is Joseph S. Smith quoting Lorenzo Snow. And he trembled at the thought that the apostles were spending so much of their time in matters that should to by others, while so – little comparative, um, comparatively was being done in their own line of calling. See, what they do is they are over the business affairs of the church, right? So they're businessmen in Babylon, but then they put on their profit suits. Oh, wait, no, they still wear the investments of Babylon the Great. Anyway, but like instead of attending to the higher things, they attend to the lower things uh, and whatever. Anyway, um, he had been thinking of late whether we were justified in keeping at home the apostles in the 70s the way they were doing now. Because apostles in the 70s are supposed to be traveling all the time. They're actually not supposed to have homes in Zion. They're supposed to be traveling in, in the world. Okay, um, and we'll get to that in a minute. They were really ministers to the nations of the earth. Their duties were clearly marked out by the Lord. And it's interesting because they go to the nations of the earth, but they just go to the saints of the nations of the earth, right? Like, for the most part, that's where they, you know, get on their their jets and they'll fly over on Huntsman's little donation to them. And then they'll land over in Germany or wherever, and then they will go to a steakhouse or, uh, you know, a ward house or whatever, and they'll be like, hello, church, let me tell you about the gospel. And it's like, (laughs) you're preaching to the choir, dude. Uh, you're supposed to be actually preaching to the heathen people, you know, but I don't know. Anyway, oh, but they do that on Larry King Live, so, oh, that's that's different. Anyway, um, he had been thinking of late whether we were justified in keeping, oh, wait, hold on. I'll just read it again. Keeping at home the apostles and assemblies the way we were doing, they were really ministers to the nations of the earth. Their duties were clearly marked out by the Lord. And until the gospel is preached thoroughly to the world, he doubted whether the Savior would come, as the preaching of the gospel to the world is certainly a part of the work that he uh, that has to be done before he does come. The president, Lorenzo Snow, also said there were republics on the continent which never had been visited by an apostle, and he did not know how far the Lord justified the apostles in the 70s waiting for things to become pleasant and agreeable before visiting such countries. All right, so that's remarks of Joseph S. Smith about Lorenzo Snow's last remarks, uh, and you can find that in the Juvenile Instructor, uh, volume 36, page 689 and 690. And then, for the past 75 years, the apostles have all resided in Salt Lake City, Utah, and attended Thursday morning meetings. I told you it was Thursday morning meetings. Somebody was telling me that they met at night, and I know they meet in the morning. To run the official affairs of the church, they have become businessmen, stockholders, and corporations and leading merchants in Utah. Okay, so let's go back to see what 
the prophets and apostles of old had to say about these things, including, let's see here, oh, Brigham Young. Okay. The Lord speaking to the twelve apostles said, go ye and teach all nations. And you can find that in your New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16. And again, the twelve are called to go into all the world to preach my gospel. And you can find that in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 18. Joseph Smith had to say the twelve will have no right to go into Zion or of her stakes. See, the stakes are supposed to be in Zion, not everywhere else in the world, because there's supposed to be a gathering to Zion, not going out to Babylon and creating stakes and wards and branches. All right, so let's see here. This is Joseph Smith. The twelve will have no right to go into Zion or of her stakes, and there undertake to regulate the affairs thereof. But it is their duty to go abroad and regulate all matters relative to the different branches of the church. Oh, so the branches should be out there and the stakes should be in here, I guess. Anyway, um, you can find that in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 74, if you care to go and actually read what Joseph Smith had to say. Like, you know, since you proclaim Joseph Smith to be a prophet, like, I don't know, actually read what he has to say and compare it to what's being done today, which it don't, it don't match up, okay? Just letting you know. It don't match up. Now, the president of the church and his counselors are supposed to stay at the head of the church because they are high priests. But the apostles are elders, and they are meant to go as elders out into the world. We'll get to that later, I promise. In the Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 20, or two, I'm sorry, 200, which is also talked about in the Doctrine and Covenants section 107, verse 33. It says, They, the twelve, are to travel and preach among the Gentiles until the Lord shall command them to go to the Jews. Okay, so that doesn't mean going to the stakes out in Babylon, which shouldn't even exist. Um that includes actually going to the churches that are out there in the world and to the Gentiles, maybe street preaching. Oh, but they wouldn't want to have to do that, you know, because they need to be honored by the people, I guess. You know, so let's see here. Um, oh, and then they're supposed to go to the Jews. Now, what I find interesting about this is they made an agreement with Israel that they would no longer preach openly to the Jews, and that if they could do that, they could have their little Jewish institute, you know, whatever it's called, BYU, Jerusalem, whatever. So they can't go preach openly to the Jews because they've made an agreement with Babylon that they wouldn't do that, right? Uh, so if God tells them to do that, are they going to break that that agreement? break the laws of the land, as it were, and actually break the article of faith that talks about your hostile Bible laws of the land, which drives me nuts. Anyway, 
Let's see what else is said here. Uh, Brigham Young says, what says, or what says one, no seat provided for the 12? Is not this their home? No. Their home, their homes are all over the years, preaching the gospel, building up the kingdom, regu- regulating the affairs of the kingdom of God upon the earth, and we take them in as visitors. Well, when do we do that? Uh general conference and then they need to go back out and preach the gospel not be here every thursday morning to regulate the business affairs of their babylonian horse church which they need to stop whoring after babylon but anyway let's continue brigham young are there places to be provided for the 70s no but the first presidency and the local authorities and not the traveling ministry. See, the First Presidency and the local authorities are high priests. What does it mean to be a high priest? It means you stay put and you regulate the affairs of the church where you're at. But if you're an elder, which apostles are supposed to be elders, you're supposed to be preaching the gospel. We'll get into 70 apostles as well here in a minute. Because guess what? The 70s are apostles as well which thing was taught in the church at one time, but they don't know what to do with it anymore, so they just change it and go on their merry little way, changing everything. All right, let's see here. The 12 and the 70s are traveling quorums to all the inhabitants of the earth. End quote, Brigham Young, Desert News, June 6, 1877. That was just uh, two months before he died. So anyway, but uh, today... I want to say here, the apostles in the 70s, their business is to warn the nations of the earth and prepare the world for the coming of the Savior. They've been engaged in this more or less. Oh, let me see. I'm not going to go back over all that. But basically, you just got to see what they do, you know. What they do and what they should be doing are two different things. Topic 37, apostles and assist, uh, apostles assistants. Okay, let's see here. And let's read what the change is. And this is John A. Witzo, Improvement Era, May 1941, page 288. Therefore, the late general conference, at the late general conference, five men, high priests, were called to act as assistants to the Twelve. This action shows the ability of the church to changing and increasing conditions. End quote. All right, let's see here. In the Improvement Era, October 1956, page 752, it says all the assistants to the 12 apostles are high priests. If an elder or seventy should be selected to be an assistant to the apostle, he would be ordained to the office of high priest. Oh, interesting. Okay, let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 30, uh, 30, 38, 37. All right. It is the duty of the traveling council, uh, high council, high priests, to call upon the 70 when they need assistance. Okay, let's see. Joseph Smith taught, I, call, I next called upon the quorums and congregations of the saints to acknowledge the presidency, uh, the presidents of the 70, who act as their 12 apostle representatives. As apostles and special witnesses to the nations to assist the 12, okay, this is 
70 were supposed to be apostles of sisters, and they're apostles as well. We'll get into that in a minute. To assist the 12 in opening the gospel kingdom among all the people and to uphold them by their prayers, which they did by rising. Okay. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, on page 112, it says, The 70s are to be taken from the quorum of elders and are not high priests, but today they just make them all into high priests, right? That's what you call changing the gospel. This is what you call apostasy. All right, let's see. The 70s are to be taken, this is Joseph Smith, the 70s are to be taken from the quorum of the elders and are not to be high priests. They are subject to the direction and dictation of the 12 who have the keys of the ministry. All right, that's teaching the prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. Let's see what else Joseph Smith has to say about that. If a high priest should be remiss in his duty, he should uh, he should lead or suffer the church to be led astray. Depart from the ordinances of the Lord, then it is the duty of one of the 70, 70s, acting under the special direction of the 12, being duly commissioned by them with their delegated authority to go to the church, and if agreeable to a majority of the members of said church, to proceed to regulate and put in order the same, otherwise... He can have he can have no authority to act. Okay, so cool. All right, let's go to seventies. Topic thirty-eight seventies. All right, let's see here. Today, the activities of seventies residents in the state, both as to forms and individuals, are under the supervision of the state president and ward bishops. And that is in Priesthood and Church Government, page 275. Okay, but these are apostles, right? They should be in the, under the supervision of the 12. Okay, but, but for our time, and they changed it back. So clearly they made an error, but they still don't understand it. And, and if you want to know more about the 70s, go read Ogden's book called The 70s. Uh, you'll learn a whole bunch, all right? But we're not going to get into that at this point. All right, B.H. Roberts, The 70s by Ogden Kraut. So we're going to quote The 70s by Ogden Kraut. This is B.H. Roberts, though. Uh, Brigham Hebrew Roberts, who was a president of The 70s back in the days of Heber J. Grant. I cannot believe that God has given us an impractical plan for such choosing and presiding over The 70s. The plan, as God has given it, uh, has given it, is entirely practical practical if allowed to function as planned. But if changed and distorted, I am sure it will not be practical. The multiplication tables in mathematics works all right if allowed to stand as it is. But if you go to changing it, making it say that 3 times 9 is 21, or that 3 times 8 is 16, and, and so throughout then you'll have trouble. The application of the illustration is obvious. All right, let's see what they've done here. Um, Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 34. The 70s are to act in the name of the Lord under the direction of the 12. Okay, did you get that? 
the state presidents, not the bishops. Okay, I know they've changed it back, but for a long time the states there was a seventh they the quorum uh, let's see the everything except for the first and second quorum of the seventy was actually in, under the control of the state presidencies. Okay, and yeah, that was wrong. All right, so but the seventies are the act in, in the name of the Lord under the direction of the twelve or the traveling high council, that's the twelve, um in building up the church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations, first unto the Gentiles and then to, uh, to the Jews. You can find that in DNC section 107, verse 37. And Gazarat News, June 6, 1877, page 274, it says, I say unto you, Latter day Saints, that the 70s followed the 12 apostles, and the 12 apostles follow in the, the wake of the First presidency. The twelve and the seventies are traveling quorums to all the inhabitants of the earth. All right? Joseph F. Smith taught the seventies are called to be assistants to the twelve apostles. Indeed, they are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, subject to the direction of the twelve. Did you hear that? The seventies are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, subject to the direction of the twelve. And it is their duty to respond to the call of the Twelve under the direction of the First Presidency of the Church to preach the Gospel. That was Joseph Smith that said that. Or no, I'm sorry, Joseph F. Smith. Conference Report, April 1907, page 5. But Joseph Smith did say in, in Teaching of the Prophet Joseph Smith, chapter, I mean, page 112, the 70s are subject to the direction and dictation of the 12 who have the keys of the ministry. All right, so they are supposed to be in the, the direction of the 12 apostles, right? Well, let's go back over this a little bit. In the church manual, Priesthood and Church Government, the activities of the 70s reside in the stakes, both as to Corbin individuals under the supervision of the state presidents and ward bishops. That's a change. That's not the way God gave it. That's not the way the scriptures talk about it. That's not the way Joseph Smith talked about it, or Joseph F. F. Smith, for that matter. That's a change. This is what we call apostasy. Topic 39, the apostleship of the 70s. Oh, we can get into more of this. Oh, it's so exciting. All right, let's see. What does the church have to say in our modern day? We're talking about from, actually, from the 40s on. Uh, let's see here. This is Desert News, June 12, 1961. An announcement that the members of the First Council of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, had been ordained high priests to give them power to set in order all things pertaining to the church as they visit among the stakes and missions was made on a Sunday morning to the Salt Lake Tabernacle. Oh, that's interesting. So in 1961... They decided to tell God that he was wrong when he told them only to ordain him to elders. And they decided to 
exalt themselves above the throne of God and tell him that he was wrong. Let's go back to the scriptures and to the prophets. And they, the 70s, form a quorum equal in authority to that of the 12 special witnesses or apostles just named. Oh, wait, who's that? Uh, the quorum of the 12 apostles. Presidency, the first presidency, the quorum of the 12 apostles and the quorum of the 70 apostles is equal in authority to that of the 12. You can find that in your Doctrine and Covenants verses one or chapter, I'm sorry, section 107, verse 26. Let's see, Joseph F. Smith, or no, I'm sorry, no, this is Joseph Smith. This day the council of the 70 met to tender an account of their travels and ministry since they were ordained to that apostleship. Oh, wow. Can a state president ordain you as an apostle? No. Can a bishop? No. Should an apostle be under the direction of a bishop? Absolutely not. Should an apostle be under the direction of a state president? <laughs> I, like, is this, like, do people get this yet? Do people understand that these changes are these men who have decided to go running the mud because they got the keys of the kingdom and they're going to go drive the car? They don't even have a driver's license. I don't know what they're doing with the keys, but they're just going to do whatever they want, right? Oh, and I know you guys out there that are like, we need to follow the prophet. I'm flipping out because you can't, oh, you can't make it make sense in your mind because you've been brainwashed in primary by seeing you follow the prophet. Oh, brother, people, come on. Let's let's get back to the, the scriptures here, uh, back to the prophets. I think maybe we ought to try that. All right. In manuscript history of Brigham Young, we find out that he, Brigham Young, stated that the 70s are ordained apostles. And they go forth into the ministry. They are sent with power to build up the kingdom in all the world and consequently have power to ordain high priests and also to ordain and organize a high council. And that was... Uh, manuscript history of Brigham Young, December 14, 1845. In the novel record book, we find that Parley P. Pratt further stated that the difference between the authority of the 70s and the high priests was this. The high priest possessed the high priesthood, priesthood there, that's what the high priesthood is, but the 70s possessed the high priesthood and the apostleship, which was the highest power on earth or in the church. Nauvoo Record, Book B, page 226. And lastly, Brigham Young stated that the 70s are apostles and they stand next in authority to the 12. Yeah. If you're an apostle... Uh, you look over at the 70s, you got to realize you have the same authority they have, and they have the same authority you have, right? Well, not anymore because you've made them high priests, which is an error. But let's, we'll get into that later. Right, let's see what's the next topic. The presidents of the 70s, right, in our modern age. In 1961, it was announced that this morning – 
Uh, this morning, four members of the First Council of the Seventy were ordained high priests, and other members of the First Council of the Seventy will be so ordained. Oh, and so that, like I we've already read this before, right? That was done in 1961, and that was the point when the church decided to make them. Oh, you guys, you need to be high priests. What are we doing here? Uh, you shouldn't be elders. All right, let's see here. And it is according to the vision showing the order of the 70 that they should have seven presidents to preside over them chosen out of the number of the 70. DNC section 107, verse 93. Joseph Smith said that the 70 are to be taken from the Quorum of Elders and are not to be high priests. Okay, so if the president of the church cannot lead you astray, and Joseph Smith was the Lord's anointed and the president of the church, oh, let's see what he has to say again. The seventies are to be taken from the quorum of elders and are not to be high priests. But the church today is like, well, Joseph Smith was wrong about that. He led the people astray in that topic, so we need to fix it. You have no right to fix it. You need to be scholars of what was taught to you through the prophet Joseph Smith and the scriptures before you go thinking that you can just change things the way God gave them to you. Natural History of the Church, Volume 2, page 476. Five of those chosen to make up the first council were high priests, therefore to make the action of the church conform to the word of God. These high priests were invited by the prophet to take their place in the high priest's quorum, that the first council might be made up of men chosen out of the number of the 70 as provided by the law of God. Okay, let's see. This is Doctrinal History of the Church. There were five high priests that were chosen to be president over the 70s, right? Joseph Smith told these high priests that they were invited by the prophet to take their place back in their high priest's form that the first council might be made up of men chosen out of the number of the seven is provided by the law of God. So, the seventies are supposed to be taken from the quorum of the elders, not to be high priests. The presidents of the seventies are to be taken from the quorum of the seventies, not the high priests. If they are high priests, like this, this thing that that was done wrong here. Even in Joseph Smith's day, but he corrected them. You know, there was five high priests that were chosen to be presidents over the seventies. When it was supposed to be that the seventies were, or that the high priest, uh, the the president over the seventy was supposed to be taken from the quorum of the seventies, right? So Joseph Smith said, "Will you men kindly step up from your throne that you've been placed on?" and go back over to your quorum because you are high priests and you are not of the 70s and you're not elders. Uh, so you need to go back to your quorum because this is not your place. All right. Ezra at News, June 6, 1970, or 1877. If we inquire of the Lord, 
if there is one man upon the face of the earth that can get to the ears of the Lord and can get him to hearken to him, he would know how it is, for there is nothing in the Doctrine and Covenants upon which an idea can be based that the high priests have presidency or precedence over the 70s. And quote. So they think because they have high in their name and that they are exalted among the other forms or whatever that they need to be over everything. You know, they need to be over the 70s, which are actually over them. They are apostles, right? High priests are not. Well, they can be, I guess, but they're not. You know, you cannot be a high priest and be called in the 70s. All right, uh, and let's go back into the 70s by Ogden Kraut, page 146. And uh, this is B.H. Roberts' letter to the First Presidency. Let's see here. This I insisted very definitely affixed that the choosing and the presiding over quorums of the 70s by the First Council of the 70s it rests upon the first council of the 70 both to do the choosing and the presiding, and there is nowhere mentioned nor contemplated the bringing in of stake presidents, the presidents of stakes, nor the committees of high councils to do the work in choosing and presiding. So basically what they're saying is that, okay, so like we said before, in order to become a 70, you have to be an elder. The 70 should choose from the Quorum of the Elders, all right? And then the presidency of the 70s is supposed to be chosen from out of the Quorum of the 70s. That is in order. That the, uh, let's see, state presidents nor the committees of high councils should do the work of, of choosing or presiding. All right, so that's that. Let me see here. Somebody just messaged me, so let me see if I can just jump on this real quick and see if we got... Oh, it's just a... Let me see here. And that, how's the studio look? Okay, that's just Alan. So let me know if anybody else comes on. No, you may not uninstall Norton. You may not uninstall anything on the computer, Emmett. You don't touch anything on the computer. Can I uninstall Norton, he says. All right. 70s over the 70s. This is topic 41. Today, the members of the First Council of the 70 are now given authority of high priests to set an order all things pertaining to stakes and to the wards under the direction of the 12 apostles. Remember that? We just keep on reading this over and over and over again because that's when it changed. Let's go back to see what President uh, Joseph Smith had to say about this and others. Oh, let's see. Oh, this is in Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 2, page 182. And it is according to the vision showing the order of 70s that there shall be seven presidents preside over them chosen out of the number of the 70. And, and by the way, God has told me to call 70s again. 
And he told me that they who are 70s are they who have seen Jesus in an open vision or in a dream, that they are witnesses of him in that way. Just like Paul the Apostle, he never touched Jesus Christ, but he saw him. That is the 70 Apostle. Paul was a 70 Apostle. He was called an Apostle, but he was never part of the Quorum of the Twelve. Now, the Quorum of the Twelve, they are supposed to be men who have both seen and embraced Jesus Christ in the flesh. And God has called me to call them out as well. And so I'm calling, and nobody's answering. Well, actually, there's there's some. And I've actually had quite a few people come to me and, and tell me of their experiences. And I'm like, great, so when are you going to come up? And they're always like, whoa, I live in California, or I live in Oregon, or I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And... I don't have the money to drive up there and receive my ordination. You know, it's like they're so excited to tell me about their experience, but they never actually follow through with it. It's just like, are you serious? Like, I, I'm just like that God is saying, what do you want me to do with these people? It's like hurting cats. They won't listen. Like, I try. I told them, you know. They're all excited to hear about my experiences and to talk to me, and then they tell me about their experiences, and then they just go running off back into the darkness. You know? Do you know why God is calling 12 apostles? Because the 12 apostles that are in the presidency are going to be released because they are not true apostles. They are not eyewitnesses. They call themselves or special witnesses. And then they, they give you the same kind of testimony that any Christian can give. But, but they do it with, uh, let's see, a television camera and pretty music in the background. And a pretty, pretty backdrop and a nice suit in Babylon. And, uh, you know, the Judas goats. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, except for um, they're actually wearing the clothing of Babylon the Great, which wolves in Babylon, or lawyers, I mean liars, and judges and all those kind of things, they wear the suits, right? And they wear the same suits. (laughs) It's like, oh, you guys, you're not even pretending to be sheeps anymore. Anyway, the council was called together in the month of November 1835, after it was assembled, he asked the newly organized quorum if any of their number had been ordained to the high priest's office previous to the ordination as a 70. Five out of the seven presidents, however, acknowledged that they were high priests before they were ordained 70s. Accordingly, the prophet Joseph Smith invited them to take their place in their high, high priest's quorum again, which was complied with. So he told them to go back to their quorum because they could not be 70s because they were high priests. Because you don't choose high priests from the high priest. I mean, you don't choose 70s from the high priests. You choose them from the elders. Right? That's the that's the way God told us to do it. Joseph Smith knew it, and he, you know told them to go back to their own quorum and get out of there, because that's not what they were supposed to be. That's History of the Organization of the 70s by Ogden Kraut. Oh, wait, no. 
Now the seven, okay, the seventies. That's quoted in Arvin Kraut's book, The Seventies, page one thirty-four. But this other book is History of the Organization of the Seventies, page four and five. Okay, let's see. Let's see what Joseph Smith had to say about this. The seventies are to be taken from the corn of elders and are not high priests. They are subject to the direction of the and dictation of the twelve who have the keys of the ministry. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. But all of the 70s today are high priests, which contradicts what Joseph Smith said. Yeah. All right. Uh, Correlated History of the Church, volume 6, page 105. At the October Conference of 1882, Elders Abraham H. Cannon and Theodore B. Lewis were selected to fill the vacancies in the first council of the 70, but it was learned that Elder Lewis was a high priest. Shame on you, Elder Lewis. You should be ashamed of yourself for pretending to be an elder. And consequently, for the reason that that these presidents are to be chosen from among the 70, he was found eligible and was not ordained, end quote. B.H. Roberts wrote, it would not be necessary to ordain presidents of the 70s, high priests, in order to function in all things that would become necessary in building the kingdom in all the world, first among the Gentiles, then among the Jews. He, he was writing a letter to Heber J. Grant because guess what? Heber J. Grant kept trying to change things, and people were trying to set him right, right? But you can't set a big old businessman, uh, apostle, prophet, who who actually is not an apostle or a prophet at all. But you can't set them straight because they're the leader of the church. How dare you? How dare a 70 come and try to correct you, you know? And so these uh, false prophet Jesus goats that lead the church astray uh, simply proclaim the Pope will never lead you astray, even though the gospel of the eternities is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the church changes continually. All right. Topic 42, High Priests and 70s Authority. Let's see here. Today, an announcement made that the members of the First Council, of, oh, this is the same one over and over and over again, an announcement made that made members of the First Council of the Seventh of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had been ordained high priests to give them power, set in order all things pertaining to the church. As they visit among the stakes and missions was made Sunday morning. <laughs> you can see what God has to say about this. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 26. And they, the 70s, form a core equal in authority to that of the 12 special witnesses or apostles just named. In Novel Record Book B, page 226, the Apostle Parley Pratt said the difference between the authorities of the 70s and the high priest was this, that the high priest possessed the high priesthood that's the Melchizedek priesthood, but the 70s possessed the high priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, and the apostleship 
which was the highest power on earth or in the church. Uh, they should say that at the time, right, because there's some higher powers. Um, actually, I'm an apostle of the Father. That's above an apostle of, of Jesus Christ. I'm an eyewitness of the Father, and I've been given the fullness of the priesthood. And there's only two for each earth. Jesus Christ was an apostle of the Father. He was the first witness of the Father. I am the second witness of the Father. Okay? All right, let's see here. Um People will think I'm smug about that, but I really don't care what they have to say at this point. I really don't care who I offend anymore because I just I realize I can be nice about it or I can like try to help them and they're just going to reject it anyway. So I'm just going to say what I have to say because guess what? He who has been warned warned his neighbor, and if God tells me to do something and He tells me to be bold in my witness and my declaration, then I have to do what He tells me or I have to pay the consequence. Because there are consequences even to the Elohim. If the Elohim do not do what they are supposed to do, they can, uh, well, I don't know. Um, Lucifer was a god, though. He was meant to be the second witness of the Father, and he fell. Now, he became the god of this world, and he will be destroyed in the lake of fire. Consequences. Anyway, let's see. The quorum of the twelve apostles are equal in power and authority to the first presidency. The first quorum of the seventy is equal in authority to the quorum of the twelve. And of course, indirectly, equal in authority to the first presidency. Since things equal to a common thing must be equal to each other. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 2, page 369. Brigham Young. I stated that the 70s were ordained apostles, and they went forth into the ministry that they were sent with power to build up the kingdom and all the world, and consequently, they have power to ordain high priests and also ordain a high council. Some of the high priests have been ready to quarrel on the subject, excuse me, supposing they had power and authority above the 70s. Yeah. All right, let's see. High priest, topic 43. Excuse me. The duty of the high priest is to preside over the labors of the 70, such as branches and stakes, to organize the same when necessary, but not to preside over 70s or control them in any way, whatever. Okay, I. The duty of the high priest is to preside over the labors of the 70s. Okay, so when a, when a 70 comes into a branch or a stake, they direct the church, right? And they get people to labor in the church. Priests are not, are, they're supposed to preside over the labors, but not to preside over the actual 70s. Let's hear that again. This is a Nauvoo period. Uh, period record, book B, page 31. The duty of the high priest is to preside over the labors of the 70s, such as branches and stakes, and to organize the same when necessary, but not to preside over the 70s or to control them in any way, whatever. All right, let's see here. Uh, 
today, high priests call the missionaries, ordain them, and provide over the missions. Oh, let's go back up and see what uh, John Taylor has to say about this. There is a quorum of high priests in this stake, and it is proper that they should uh, fully understand their duties of their office and calling, which the Doctrine and Covenants plainly states. Many circumstances have occurred since the commencement of our, our recent organization, which shows how little prepared the high priests were to take upon themselves the duty of their office in presiding over stakes, wards, etc. John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, volume 19, page 140. Joseph Smith taught the 70s are also members of the same priesthood, are a sort of traveling council or priesthood, and may preside over the church or churches until a high priest we had. So a high priest is over they're, they're supposed to stay where they're at, right? The 70s are supposed to go around and organize things. But the high priests are under the direction of the 70s, and they stay where they're at, right? They stay where they're at. That is what a high priest does. The president of the church is supposed to be a high priest, and he is supposed to stay where he's at and direct the 12 to go out into the world. The 12 are supposed to have the 70 to assist them to organize stakes and branches and call high priests to organize or to preside over the stakes and branches, but not the 70s. That's the proper order. And you can find that in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. You can also find this on page 109. The 70s are not called to serve tables or preside over churches to settle difficulties, but are to preach the gospel and build them and set other or set others who do not belong to these quorums to preside over them who are high priests. Oh, that's what I just said. All right. John Taylor said, and we therefore had to go outside of the high priests whose legitimate business it was to occupy these positions and call other men and ordain them high priests and set them apart to preside in these stakes as presidents and bishops and counselors. You can find that in Journal of Discourses, Volume 19, verse 306. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it says, High priests, after the order of the Melchizedek priesthood, have the right to officiate in their own standing under the direction of the presidency in administering spiritual things and also in the office of an elder, whereas other offices of the church who belong not unto the twelve, neither the seventy, are not under the responsibility to travel among all nations. All right. What's the next one here? Elder. All right, let's see. Let's just read what the, the scriptures have to say. So, Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 45. The Lord, uh, I'm sorry, the elders are to conduct the meetings as they are led by the Holy Ghost, according to the commandments and revelations of God. DNC, section 20, verse 45. Okay. But not to preside, but to conduct. Got it? Good. All right, let's see. DNC section 107, 89 and 90. 
And again, the duty of the president over the office of elders to preside over 96 elders and to sit in council with them and to teach them according to the covenants. This presidency is a distant one from that of the 70 and is designed for those who do not travel into all the world. Okay, so elders preside, or not preside, I'm sorry, to conduct meetings, right? And are designed are not to travel into all the world. So elders are supposed to be under the direction of the high priests. They are to conduct the meetings, and they are not to travel to the whole world. That's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Okay, let's go on. DNC section 107, verse 60. Verily, verily, or verily I say unto you, saith the Lord of hosts, there must needs be presiding elders to preside over those who are of the office of elder. Okay, so you got elders going presidents. I don't see what's so wrong about that. But that's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Let's see. 107, verse 98. Whereas other officers of the church who belong not unto the 12, neither the 70, are not under the responsibility to travel among all nations. Oh, yeah, that's that's probably something that we should listen to since it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 2, page 370 and 371. On the left of the First Presidency may be said to stand the high priests, to which quorums of priesthood belong the right of general and local presidency in the church. From their ranks are the patriarchs, presidents of stakes, high counselors, and bishops, and their counselors are chosen. And next to the high priests stand the elders who are to assist them. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so the high priests are supposed to preside over the church, and the elders are supposed to conduct the meetings and to assist the high priests in their performances and their duties. Okay, let's read it again. On the left of the first presidency may be said to stand the high priest to which quorum of priesthood belongs to the right of general and local presidencies in the church. Okay, so high priests are supposed to be patriarchs, presidents of stakes, high counselors, and bishops. And their councils are chosen, and next to the high priests stand the elders who assist them in performing their duties. These quorums of priesthood constitute the standing ministry for the stakes of line. Now, what, what is that? The standing ministry, not the traveling ministry, upon whom more especially devolve local presidencies and the duty of preaching and administering the gospel within the stakes of line. Okay, so let's go back up to section 107 and we'll get out of this. Whereas other officers of the church who belong not unto the 12, neither to the 70s. Okay, so what are the 12 and the 70s supposed to do? They're supposed to go through the whole earth and preach the gospel. And what is everybody else supposed to do? Let's read it again. These other offices are not under the responsibility to travel to all nations. Today, nearly all of the missionaries and foreign missions and here at home are elders. 
They're doing exactly what they were told not to do. And why is that? Was it the, the, the 12 and the 70 that were like, we need to get more moots on the ground. Let's send the elders out. <laughs> really? But, you know, we wouldn't have 70,000 or 80,000 or whatever it is, missionaries walking all over the earth today if it wasn't for that. You know, you send these guys out that are not prepared to go out. You give them a three-week stint in the missionary training center, you know, and then you tell them to go preach the gospel, and they're ignorant fools, have no idea what the gospel is. They have no idea how to defend the gospel, you know, against, uh, you know, somebody that, that is older, more mature. No, here, hold on here. Let me see. Oh, that's weird. My phone just decided to beep at me. Hold on, I'm going to drink a drink here. We'll get into topic 45, teachers and deacons. All right. The teacher's duty is to watch over the church always. And I should have called this one the, uh, you know, instead of like what I call it, the episode program, I should have called it like offices of the priesthood because <laughs> this is what we're going over, right? The teacher's duty is to watch over the church always and to be with and strengthen them and is to be assisted always in all his duties in the church by the deacons if occasion requires. You see section 20, verses 53 through 57. Oh, let's see. Down here, uh, let's see what they do today. In March 1970, it was announced that home teachers could be assisted by their wives for uh, so for the next three years, wives were allowed to act as home teachers with their husbands. Oh, that's interesting. Then in October of 1973, the church reversed their former reversal by saying wives should not be assigned as priesthood home teaching companions. Priesthood Bulletin, Volume 9, Number 5. Oh, okay, so they admitted that they led the church astray in that, but they can't really lead the church astray, right? Oh, whatever. All right, let's see what else it has to say here. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 2, page 371. The duty of the teachers is to be the standing ministers in their respective wards where they reside to see that there is no iniquity in the church and that the members perform their duties. Twenty-four of them constitute a quorum, which is presided over by a president and two counselors chosen from the members. The duty of the deacon is to assist the teacher, and they may also expound, teach, warn, and invite all to come unto the uh, to Christ. Twelve of them form a quorum, and from their number, a president and two counselors are chosen to preside. Correlated history of the church says deacons are appointed to assist the teachers in the performances of their duties. Oh, that's cool. Okay, go on. Lady missionaries. Okay, now this one drives me absolutely nuts because it's fine.
fine to let the ladies go out there and preach the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so I'm going to have a little bit of an issue here because Ogden read the scriptures as it was given to him, not as they were written down by the original author. But today, let's see. Actually, let's just go over this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, saith the law. Okay. All right. So the law was done away with one. But this particular scripture is an addition by a scribe around three or 400 years after Christ. Because the manuscripts before that didn't have it in it. How do I know that? I get to study a lot. They weren't in there. This is false doctrine right here. So whenever they bring this up, whenever the women, or the men bring this up, you women out there, you tell that man, the Catholic Church put that in there to shut the the nuns up. That's all it was there for. To, to usurp control and dominion, unrighteous dominion over women. And it is false doctrine on its face. All right, it's also talked about in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but suffer not a woman to teach or nor usurp authority over the men, but to be in silence. Did you know that there were women apostles as well as men? Mary was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Mary, Mary Magdalene, that one that the Catholic Church wants to say was a whore and adulterous, and all the things that they say, who did Jesus Christ go to first? His wife was an apostle or an eyewitness of the resurrected Savior. You get that? And and there were other uh, women apostles as well. I just talked about in Romans a little bit, but you'll find that more in other scriptures, uh, other scriptures that aren't in your Bible. Anyway, continuing. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and placed whether himself would come. That's weird. This doesn't have to do with women apostles. Anyway, okay, I don't know why he made that point. Good scripture, but the section 107, verse 38, it is the duty of the traveling high council. Am I reading in the wrong place? Let's see. We're on page 1444 of Enzyme to the Nations. And lady missionaries. Okay. Okay. There we go. It is the duty of the traveling high council to call upon the 70s when they need assistance to fill the several callings for preaching and administering the gospel instead of any others. Oh, okay. Here's another one. Every man who has a calling to administer to the inhabitants of the world was ordained to that very purpose in the grand council of heaven before the world was. Teaching to the prophet Joseph Smith, 
page 365, and that is an emphasis on every man, okay? All right. I haven't gotten revelation about this, but you know what? I don't see why women cannot preach the gospel. Oh, but... I don't know. Something I guess I should think more about. Um in 1898, it was announced that a great interest is being manifest at the present time in subjecting or in the subject of sending sister missionaries out, or sending out, or sending out sisters, of sending sisters out as missionaries to to labor and bearing testimony to the truth of the gospel in in other directions connected with its propagation. It is very gratifying to hear such good news. <laughs> such good news concerning the commencement of the labors of the sisters. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to even touch that one. I actually got off my work today and went over to this house that we are really thinking that we want to move into. And uh, I talked to the real estate a lot. We've been trying to get the real estate agent online and keeps on not calling us back. But I didn't realize this place had so many living in it. So I drove by there to kind of look at it, you know, a little bit. And the garage was open. So I was like, oh. So I walked over, I knocked on the door, and then I went around into the garage, and this guy's sitting in there, right? And so we start talking. Very, very kind, nice, older man, right? a very lonely, nice older man who talked my ear off for two hours. I finally had to say, look, I got to go get some sleep. I am going to be dead tonight if I don't. So I got like four and a half hours of sleep today, which I only usually get five, so which is fine. But I'm a little bit tired. So, you know, I get more tired by being worn out physically than I do mentally. Because I can actually stay awake and for, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, when I have days off, I usually lay in bed next to my wife all night long, books on my tablet. And then I go to sleep around sunrise, and I sleep for a couple of hours, and then I wake up and do it again. It's weird. I hate sleeping. But if I'm worn out physically, oh. I, I just want to sleep to get, like not be in pain anymore because my body hurts. But anyway, okay, so um, topic 47, without personal script. Uh, let's see here. Okay. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither stage nor script. Now, what's a script? Some people are like, that means money. No, that, that actually... Well, maybe it means money. Fair enough. It's too bad Frederick's gone. He can tell us. Uh, And I'm not going to look it up in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Actually, no, it doesn't, because right here, two parts later, it says, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece, all right? So script, they're scrolls. They're the records. They are what you, you know, you read from the script. Okay, and you can find that in uh, Luke in the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 3, also Matthew chapter 10, 1 through 15. Okay, so in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, and also in 24, it says, 
Therefore, let no man among you, for this commandment is unto all the faithful who are called of God in the church unto the ministry. From this hour, take purse or scrap. So purse, money, or scrap. Your script, you know, like you read a script. Okay. But go forth and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So the missionaries are not are supposed to go without money or prepared messages. They are supposed to go with their scriptures and study their scriptures and speak by the power of the Holy Ghost as directed by the Holy Ghost from the things that they are learning in the scriptures. All right, so the millennial star, it says, There is no qualification about these words of the Lord, and through the revelation in which they are contained was given in 1832. Uh, though the revelation in which they are contained was given in 1832, we know of no commandment that has changed that force since they were given. All right, so the millennial star, G.E. Taylor, I don't know who that is. Uh, he said, this is the Lord's way. Blessings beyond all earth you reckon await those who thus give and those who receive. Herein is prescribed a test whereby we may know who are indeed the Lord's disciples. All right, so that's talking about going out without personal script, apparently. All right, life of Wilfred Woodruff, Revelation given in 1880, page 530. And this is a revelation given to Wilfred Woodruff that never appeared in the Doctrine and Covenants. Thus saith the Lord unto my servant, oh wait. Oh, this one's given to John Taylor. Oh, no, this is given to John Taylor and Wilfred Woodruff. Oh, is this the one he received in Arizona? It is. I get these ones mixed up. There were several that weren't that I'd given him the document. I'm just going to read it. Thus saith the Lord unto my servant John Taylor, and my servant Wilfred Woodruff, and my servant Orson Pratt, and all the residue of mine apostles. Have you not got, gone forth in my name without purse or script, and declared the gospel of life and salvation unto this nation and the nations of the earth? And warn them of the judgments which are to come, as you have been moved upon by the power of the Holy Ghost and the inspiration of the Lord. You have done this year by year for the whole generation, as men count time. Therefore, your garments are clean of the blood of this generation, and especially of this nation. Oh, okay, so, but today the missionaries have to have a guaranteed income before they can go on a mission. They have to have, make sure that they have the three hundred. $50 a month paid for so that they can actually be funded to go out on a mission and live in their apartments. But see, this is the thing. The elders are not supposed to be going on missions. The apostles are. The 70 times 7. Okay, so you can have seven quorums of 70s. So that's 490 missionaries in the quorum of the 70s. So they're supposed to be the traveling ministers, right? And the presidency of the 70s are supposed to stay home and, and make sure things go right, whatever. All right, so and the 12, so that's 502 missionaries who are apostles, who are supposed to go without purse or script, 
who are elders, but they are apostles because they're chosen from the elders, right? They're apostles. They are supposed to go out and preach the gospel without personal script. The elders who are elders are supposed to stay at home. Now, if they were living united orders, the uh, their families, the apostles' families, would be taken care of by the church. And these men would put on their hiking boots and they would walk their butt across the country and they would go into every town and every village along the way and preach in every place. And when the town rejected them, they would walk their feet off, go on to the next town, let that town be destroyed. Pretty easy, right? But they flipped it on its head. Now they're like, we've got like hundreds of thousands of elders in the church. Let's send them out. So now they got like 60,000 elders out there and 20,000 women or whatever the ratio is. I don't know. Anyway, let's see here. What is the next one? Oh, washing of feet. Oh, we just talked about this. Let's go on. Verse topic 48. So washing of the feet is was talked about when I was on a mission, but everybody's like, you're not supposed to do that because only the apostles are supposed to do that, right? Well, let's read about it. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Then if then I, your Lord, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. John chapter 13. Oh, this isn't the curse one. This is the, uh, the blessed one. Because you can actually wash your feet against somebody, or you can wash somebody's feet in service of somebody to give them a blessing. Okay, so Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verse 92 and 93. Also... Section 60, verse 15. He that receiveth you not, go away from him alone by yourself. This is the cursing, by the way. And cleanse your feet with with water, pure water, whether in heat or cold, and bear testimony of it unto your Father, which is in heaven, and return not again to that man. Okay, that's the cursing of washing the feet, right? All right, Life of Hebrew C. Kimball, Orson F. Whitney, it says, When he told him if he did not repent of his sins and be baptized for the remission of them, that he would be damned, which made him angry. We then passed on until we came to a pure stream of water and cleansed our feet, bearing testimony against him as the Lord commanded. Awesome. Okay. All right, uh, Life of John Taylor by B.H. Roberts, Brigham Heber Roberts, who is the presidency of the 70, uh, page 76. Elder Taylor and his companions diligently searched these people out and presented the gospel message to them. Some gladly received the word, and others rejected it with great bitterness. Against some of this latter, latter class, the brethren washed their feet as a witness against them. The manner in which they complied with the ordinance appointed unto them as described by Elder Taylor was as follows. 
Quote, we washed our feet and then knelt before the Lord and bore testimony of it, saying, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thy servants have borne testimony to the truth of those things which thou hast revealed to Mr. So-and-so, and he has rejected our testimony. O Lord, thou knowest we have no hard feelings towards the man. If thou canst forgive him and lead him to the truth, do so. We pray thee, O O, o Father, we do this that we may fulfill thy word in bearing testimony before thee according to thy commandments. And now, O Lord, we have we are we leave him in thine hands, praying thee to guide us into all truth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, but today, like I said, you don't these things aren't done. And when you talk about it as an elder back in the nineties when I was a missionary. Uh, they'd be like, you're not supposed to talk about that. That's only for the apostles. Well, who is supposed to be out there doing the missionary work? The apostles. But you're an elder. You should be helping the high priests, right? That's your job unless you are a 70 apostle or part of the Quorum of the Twelve. Now, they should be taken from the elders, but once you're taken from the elders and made a 70 apostle, you are no longer in the office of an elder. You are a 70 apostle, and then the Quorum of the Twelve is taken from the 70s, right? Pretty easy. I don't know why it's so hard to understand these things. Topic 49, preaching in the ministry. Let's see here. Let me get a drink here real quick. Did you bring my drinks in from the car? Is my drink getting all ready? You can go out and get it. Thanks. Okay, did we have uh, crystal light? We don't have any left. Do we have Kool-Aid? Are you sure? Kool-Aid? Kool-Aid? Okay. Okay, that's fine. Thank you, Anna. Um, oh. My keys are hanging on the banister. Crystal light. I, I know it's probably not healthy for you, but it's I like drinking it, and um, it doesn't have sugar in it, so no calories. Yay me! You know, since I married my wife in 2012, I've lost like 80 or 90 pounds. Um, I think it was because I didn't really want to get married, so I didn't want women to. I wanted women to leave me alone, right? But they would always like uh, charge me nuts. Like they would feel the spirit around me a lot, and they'd be like, "I want some of that." And I've had so many women like actually give their testimony that they know by revelation that I'm supposed to be their husband. And I'm like, "Okay, we'll see how that goes." You know, <laughs> I just wasn't interested. Um, yes, actually, you know, I don't even lock my car in it. So you can put those keys back, go out, and on the driver's side, there's a little lever. Just pull it up, and it'll pop the trunk, and you can get my drink. I don't leave anything in my car. I drive a beater. We bought this car for, like, 
200 bucks and we put like 400 bucks or something like that into the car to fix it up. And my little beater gets really good gas mileage and it goes. But the interior of the car is falling apart and the paint job is ridiculous. And only one windshield wiper works. Luckily, it's the driver's side. Everything else works. Green does. Cruise control doesn't work. And it's a little like side speed. But and it's got a sunroof. That's what I like. I feel like I'm driving a go kart, kind of like a motorcycle, except I don't have to wear a helmet. And and it's got a, a radio that I can play music on as I'm zipping down the road or talk radio. And uh, yeah, but like I don't leave anything in the car, and it's a beater, so which is perfect for me, except for the winter time. Ugh, no fun in the winter time. Anyway. Oh, let's see, because I can't spend a lot of money on that sort of stuff. I like I gave my wife a nice minivan so she could transport the kids in comfort with air conditioning and heat and all that sort of stuff. But I'm a man. Why do I need that stuff, right? Well, actually, it kind of sucks when you're driving in snow and you don't have a heater, but because <laughs> you can't defrost, you know. I need to get that fixed anyway. <laughs> um, Somebody keeps pushing. Kim, are you listening on one of the phones? Somebody keeps pushing the, the buttons on these phone, their phone and it's sitting there next to me. And two of the other we got four phones all together. Anyway, oh, maybe it's Alan because um, he's unmuted. Alan, stop pushing buttons on your phone. <laughs> no pushing the buttons. All right, let's see. We are to preach the gospel by the power and influence of the Holy Ghost, and no man can preach the gospel without the Holy Ghost. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. Uh, We're reading preaching in the ministry. Those who are called to the ministry were told by the Lord to preach the word of truth by the Comforter, because if it be by some other way, it is not of God. So what were they supposed to do? They're supposed to study the scriptures, Okay, so these men who are preaching the the, the men, are they are preaching the gospel. They're missionaries going out to the world. They're apostles, right? These are seasoned elders in the church who are chosen to be seasoned seventies in the church who are chosen to be seasoned twelve apostle. You know, the quorum of the twelve in the church. They should know the, the gospel, right? They should know the scriptures. They should know the scriptures very well, and they should allow the Holy Ghost to preach through them. That's one of the gifts. I call it the gift of tongues. It's one of the gift of tongues. When the Holy Spirit speaks through you, that's the gift of tongues. Now, it's interesting because I used to study like mad, right? And I used to go into churches all over the all over the United States and Canada. And I would go in there and I would expound scripture to these people. What's interesting is before I met the missionaries, I was a drug addict. When I was uh, 12, my stepfather decided to put a steak knife into my arm because I wasn't holding my fork right. That was the way he was. Like, I used to play with matches as a kid, and so his solution to me playing with matches was to light a match, pinch it in my finger until it burned out upon my flesh. 
if I didn't do something exactly right, he would hit me. He would beat me with the buckle end of the belt. You know, cowboy buckles. I know I meant Emmett's stepdad or Edmund's dad that is not allowed to talk to him did the same thing to him and now I'm his dad. By the time I was fourteen I had been severely abused by my father or by my stepfather. My father, having gone when I was three, he was a drug addict, pretty bad, right? I was in an evaluation in primary children's uh, hospital in the psychiatric ward for three weeks. One of the things that I received there was an IQ test. They determined that my IQ was 147. And then came the drugs. By the time I was 16, I was homeless, not by my own choice. My mom gave me to my aunt and uncle. My aunt and uncle pulled me out of school and made me get a job. And then they left when I was at work one day. And there was a note while the counter when I got home, and it said, you are not our responsibility. So basically, they did me a good one. They gave me a place to live until the landlord found out, and they kicked my butt out onto the street. Luckily, I had a little motorcycle, a little pup-pup motorcycle to get around, and I had a job, and my friend let me sleep in the rafters of his garage. Nobody wanted me. I became very suicidal, but I didn't want to die, so I got into drugs and alcohol. Uh, I, I did get into Job Corps and was in Job Corps for a year and a half where I laid off the drugs and alcohol because you have, there's a zero-tolerance policy there. And I did not want to lose my chance to have a bed and a place to live, you know, from 16 to uh, 18. When I got out of Job Corps, I was very suicidal, and I started using drugs and alcohol. Like, seriously, every night I would drink a bottle of gin um, and uh, it was like $3 for this kind of big bottle. I don't remember the different sizes, but I would have my friend get me a whole bunch of them, and then I would drink one bottle every night. I, I was a functioning alcoholic. I had a job. I'd get off of – I worked at this place called Movie Bus, which was a, a video rental store, but it was 24 hours, and my job was graveyard. What's that, Emma? Okay. Emma's told me about uh, the studio. Anyway, so uh, but I would um, I would drink every night after work, um, and I was homeless on and off during this time as well. And then I would uh, use a lot of cocaine, um, crack, and marijuana. Well. I tried to commit suicide one day, and um, I was found, and I was rushed to the hospital, and I sliced the crap out of my arms, and they were able to save my life. And so 
I'm getting a little bit clear ahead here, you know, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be homeless again. It's wintertime. Um, I've hurt myself to the point I can't even work. And so I asked God, you know, I told him how screwed up my life was, and I asked God if he would show me the truth and heal me, I would serve him for the rest of my life. That's when I met the missionaries. That's when they taught me about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. That's when God, when I asked God if it was true, the Holy Spirit burned in me like fire, like, and healed me of all my drug addictions. I told God I would serve him for the rest of my life, so I, you know, I became a missionary later on. Well, you've got this guy in the MTC who has been in a mental institution. So what do they do? They've got shrinks at the MTC, and they pull up my primary children's file, and they do a bunch of tests on me as well. And one of the tests that they did was an IQ test. And, oh, by the way, the, the file said that I was just uh, reacting to things I had been through, but they did not diagnose me with any uh, mental disorders or anything. So anyway, but my IQ, okay, so I was 14 when I got my first IQ test. I was 19 when I got my second IQ test. My first IQ test was 147. My second IQ test, after all those drugs and alcohol, was 114. My short-term memory at that time was almost non-existent. It was ridiculous. Now, why do I bring this up? Because even, and it's taken me years. I, I've had another IQ test done, and my IQ has come back up to 140, which is nowhere. It, it's not 147. It's still good, right? And I've got a lot of this short-term memory back. But for many years, I did not have a short-term. It was ridiculous. If somebody told me their name, I could remember it right after they told it to me. I mean, but I would rep, repetition, repetition, repetition with the scriptures, right? And so I put it up in my head, and it was there. And then when I would go talk to these preachers or to these people doing missionary work, the Holy Spirit, because I stored it up, even though I did not have the facilities to bring it forward, that the Holy Spirit would bring it out of me exactly as it needed to come out perfectly. I, I could quote scriptures by the Spirit. I could speak by the Spirit. This is the preaching in the ministry. This is what God has called us to do. To preach by the power of the Holy Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth into our minds and come out through our mouths what needs to be said. Not to write it down and have a teleprompter, right? Now, it's fine that you write things down and you read things, whatever. But when you're called as an apostle or a 70, you should be able to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows everyone. And he knows what that person needs to hear. And he will tailor the message to the person that is hearing. 
by bringing it forth out of your mouth. And if you are reading a memorized script all the time, how can he do that? Heber C. Kimball. The Holy Ghost knows the minds of this people and what is necessary to deal out to every man and woman in due season their portion. If I am not dictated by the Holy Ghost, I cannot communicate with you that which is necessary. That, just like I said, George Q. Cannon, the Lord knows our hearts. He knows our wants. He knows where we need strength and comfort and warning and reproof. And when he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the people and upon the speaker, every man and woman receives that which is suited to his or her condition. Because the Holy Spirit knows you all. It is for this reason that the Lord has commanded his servants not to prepare their discourses, but to ponder upon his words, and in the very moment they need, uh, they needed to speak, he would give unto them that which they should say. And I testify to you that he does, and he's done it with me many times. In this way we are all fed, all are benefited, all are reproved, all are warned, as they need may be. George Buchanan, Desert Weekly News, September 10, 1896. When people attempt to preach the gospel without the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, they are under the necessity of studying or of writing their sermons. When the Lord set his hand to perform a work and build his kingdom on the earth, his servants whom he calls to do this work are obliged to trust in the Lord their God and lean upon his arm for strength. That's Wilford Woodruff, General Discourses, Volume 10, page 214. Jedediah M. Grant. Jedediah became an adroit scriptorian and a keen logician. I don't know what those words are. Because of his ready wit and power of exhortation, his fame soon spread abroad. The religion he preached was new in the manner of its presentation was strange, for he announced that he never prepared his sermons beforehand. Of course I read, and store in my mind the gospel truths he told uh, told the people, but I never study up a sermon. But he never prepared a sermon. Because he trusted God to give him the words that he needed to say. But today... As of 1961, Uniform System for Teaching Investigators, page 4, August 1961, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The missionaries must memorize, memorize and quote, prepared lessons as outlined in the following instruction given to every missionary. 
how to or to memorize discussions. Read all six discussions to get a picture of the plan as a whole. Write a brief summary of the content of each discussion. Read discussions to be memorized several times. Compare text with outline. Memorize basic conclusions and key questions. Reread dialogue leading to each conclusion until completely familiarized with it. Give discussions out loud using funnel board or other visual aid procedure. When I was a mission, I think we had like six discussions, six investigator discussions on like six new member, member, new member discussions, right? They hated me in my mission because I never stuck to it. I had a way of teaching the people using the Bible to bring people to the Book of Mormon, which was very successful. I had way more missionaries in my yeah, in my time as a missionary. Uh, I mean, way more converts in my time as a missionary than most of the missionaries. Uh, probably all the missionaries. I don't know. I don't really keep track of that sort of thing. But I had a lot of converts. But I was always getting into trouble because I was not teaching the discussions as I was supposed to memorize them. Three years after my mission, because uh, I had a, uh, a collapsed lung and an infection that caused me to go to death for a portion of my mission, um, I was sent home uh, on medical leave that I there was no place for me to go to so I had to be released and uh, I stayed with my sister a little bit stayed with my other sister a little bit and got better and eventually and I have two sisters so which one do you think oh <laughs> like ding ding light bulb is all which one which sister uh-huh. <laughs> two sisters of it <laughs> he's so funny Anyway, but um, uh, I became missionary because I didn't have anywhere to go. Well, what happens when, you know, you have a CDL, because I was a job core, like I said. Uh, I was a diesel mechanic. That's my trade training. Well, I didn't have anywhere to go. So I was like, well, truck drivers are the highest paid homeless people in the world, so why don't I go drive a truck? So that's what I did. Um. But getting back to, you know, three years after my mission, I called because the church is supposed to pay for the medical bills when you're on the mission. That's one thing they do take care of, your health insurance. And so uh, I called the mission to get it straightened out because I find out, you know, three years after the fact that, hey, these didn't get paid. So I called in, and my name at the time was... Elder Mark Tyson Trent. Uh, now it's Mark Lichtenwalter because I changed my last name because my grandparents helped raise me so much that I wanted to honor them. But at the time it was Elder Trent, right? So I say, hey, this is Elder Trent. I have a question. They're like, you're Elder Trent? <gasps> I've heard stories about you. Hey, it's Elder Trent. Like three years after my mission, people know who I am still. It is because I spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost and I could give a sermon. And I brought many people into the church. But I could not memorize those stupid discussions. 
can be written sermons in the church. Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, uh, 46, verse 2, But when they deliver you up, no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not, for it is not ye should say, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Matthew chapter 10. Verses 19 and 20. Doctrine and Covenants, section 46, verse 2 says, But notwithstanding those things which are written, it is all, or it's always, or it always has been given to the elders of my church from the beginning, and ever shall be, to conduct all meetings as they are directed by uh, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's going back to the elders actually being the ones that conduct the meetings. Now, who conducts it now? Oh, it's the high priest that's called the bishop and his counselors, which is against the law. It's it's contrary, right? The elders are the ones that are supposed to conduct the meetings. All right. Let's get back to the scriptures here. DNC section 100, verses 5 through 6. Therefore, verily I say unto you, lift up your voices unto this people, speak the thoughts that I shall put into your hearts, and you shall not be confounded before men, for it shall be given you in the very hour, yea, in the very moment, what ye shall say. DNC section 100, verses 5 and 6. In the Journal of Discourses, George Albert Smith said, with the Latter-day Saints, the idea of writing sermons or preparing addresses beforehand is entirely disregarded and never was practiced amongst us. Um, and you can find that in J, uh, Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 292. In the Deseret News, September, uh, September 4, 1852, it says, hence the folly of sermons written beforehand, and unless the written beforehand sermons are by revelation or prophecy, all men the world over may know when they hear a sermon read from the pulpit that God has no hand in that, that matter, that the preacher is the son of God and is not God's servant. I know, Alan dropped on it. I already told me. You don't need to tell me over and over and over. Emma is my sound technician, and he has to tell me when the studio something's going on in the studio, and Alan Alan's uh, phone call dropped. No, Emmett, don't ask me to close the studio before the radio program is over. I'm sick and tired of you every night asking me if you can close it just so you can play your video game. Well, what is that? Minecraft? Oh, brain-numbing Minecraft. He likes it, though. I don't know why. Like, oh, I'm gonna go play with a squirrel. All right. <laughs> uh, Wilfred Woodruff from the Journal of Discourses, volume 24, page 236. It says, It is well known to the Latter day Saints, though perhaps not to strangers, that no elder or member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints who enters into this tabernacle knows what he is going know um knows who is going to be called upon to speak to the people. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Hey, let's everybody let's go to the tabernacle and have a big meeting and I'm just gonna like call whoever, you know, out of the hey you in the yellow jacket. 
get your boy over here. We want to hear a summon from you. <laughs> Hence, no man spends a week, a day, or an hour, or a moment to prepare a discourse to deliver unto the people. Wouldn't that be awesome if people did that still? All right, well, I need to get going. Oh, excuse me, i got to get ready for work again. Because that's what I get to do every day. Luckily, I get these six hours off in between my four-hour shifts to do these radio programs. So I'm, I'm glad about that and also be able to, uh, you know, be with my kids and stuff. But like I said, it's time to go. Emmett, can you get in my coat in the inside pocket? There is a pen. I need that pen. All right. On the other side... Okay, the other flap, thank you. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget where we're at here. We're going to start on page, or topic 51. And today is, uh, well, the 30th program was done on the 5th. And tomorrow's program will be on the 6th. So we're on every night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., and then from 1 a.m. the note will drive until up to 2 in the morning. But uh, we're on page 1445 in the Enzymes of the Nations. And we're also on topic 41, which is, oh, I don't know, what page are we on here? I got to find the brackets because this is not done the same way. I am not seeing it. Oh, I cannot find the page number. That is crazy. It just takes page numbers out. I don't know. That's the enzyme to the nations. So how the enzyme to the nations works is um, it's uh, all of um, Ogden's books compiled into seven volumes, which is like four or five thousand pages long. Um, and they've got like two columns, and so you read, and then every once in a while you come across a bracket with some numbers in it, and that tells you what page in the book. Like if you were to read the book, just the book, you know, not the enzyme, the whole thing, it tells you what page you're on. And that's how uh, people find where I'm reading when they read online because it's all in brackets, right? But I can't find the page number. Why in the world is that being page number? I see page numbers for... References and quotes. I don't see it for that. For this, it's got to be in here somewhere. Smack you! And it's like up here. I mean, what did I just say? This is the end times of the nations. This is the book. The bracket numbers are in the pages right here. That's the pages. I can't see it. I don't know where it's at. They forgot to put them in here. It's in the computer, though. You'd think they would have it in here. 
I think I think that's uh, I think they screwed up and forgot to to uh, put it in the page. No, because I've seen it in here before, but I've read over some of them. I'm like, why did they put the page number in the middle of the quote? But what in the world? All right, well, whatever. We're on we're on topic fifty one, which is tithing, which I will begin talking about tomorrow. Let me just check the uh, computer here. Maybe it'll let me know. Let's see if I can. Oh, there it is. Find it in the end. I just want to know what page I'm on for love of Saint Pete. Oh, there it is, page 72. It's on the computer. It's just you can't get it on the uh Anyway, so that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Anyway, and you know what? i got to get going. It's getting late, and uh, we're just going to uh, – actually, we're going to listen to what we couldn't listen to yesterday, like one, two. So this is talking about how the priesthood conferral change was made where they didn't confer priesthood from 1921 to 1957 which I consider is the power, uh, the scattering the power of all the holy people, which is prophesied in Daniel chapter 12. Doubt that the priesthood is a general authority or qualification with certain, continuing on page 137, certain offices or authorities appended thereto. Consequently, the conferring of the priesthood should proceed the accompanying of the ordinations to the office, unless it is to be possessed by previously bestowed in ordinations. Surely a man cannot possess the appendage to the priesthood without possessing the priesthood itself. Then he goes on, he cannot receive a portion or fragment of the Aaronic priesthood because that would be an acting, acting on the ideas that either or both of the Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood were subject to subdivision, which is contrary to the revelation. Then he points out, in ordaining those who have not yet received the Aaronic priesthood or to any office therein, the words of John the Baptist, Joseph Smith, Jr., and Oliver Cowdery, there would be appropriate to immediately proceed the act of ordinations. They are, upon you, my fellow servant, in the name of the Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron. Of course, it would be not necessary to follow that exact words. Uh, and he goes on, he said, it should be consistent with the act of conferring the Aaronic. So he's pointing out here that there's been a problem about people not conferring the priesthood, so he dedicated here a chapter about, hey, we need, it clearly points out we need to confer the priesthood and then give them the office. You see, on page 174, he goes on and quotes, an office in the priesthood is a calling, like an apostle, high priest, 70, elder, that all derives its authority from the priesthood. These officers hold different callings but the same priesthood. So he's saying here, elder is nothing but an office in the priesthood. So you can't confer somebody an elder and uh, and not give them the priesthood, because elder is just an office. Okay, page 195, listen to this very carefully. He says, the office of an elder comes under the priesthood of Melchizedek. And then listen to what he says. It is a pity that greater attention is not paid to the matters of history, for then such mistakes will not occur. Several heirs have crept, have crept, have of this character, excuse me, have crept into our history through neglect or want of proper attention to the subject. So here he's saying 
It's not. It's because people don't understand history. They don't understand that the elder is just an office uh, under the priesthood. And he's saying, my goodness, people, wake up. I'm trying to show you history. I'm the president of the church. Listen to what I have to say. But the, for some reason, God put the blinders on them, sent them, sent them a smoke screen because they have broken the everlasting covenant, which we'll get into. And we'll show you some more quotes. Obviously, the subject is getting kind of old for Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the church. Here again, he says, the priesthood greater than any of its offices. Quote, there is no office growing out of this priesthood that is or can be greater than the priesthood itself. It is from the priesthood that the office derives its authority and power. No office gives authority to the priesthood. No office adds to the power of the priesthood. But all offices in the church derive their power, their virtue, and their authority from the priesthood. If Listen to this. If our brethren would get this principle thoroughly established in their minds, there would be less misunderstanding. He was dealing with apostasy. He was saying here, the brethren cannot get this principle in their head, and so he was dealing with apostasy in the church. For they could not see, see the truth. Okay, listen to this very carefully, page 149. He says, uh, ordinances, we must perform ordinances and ordination strictly in accordance with that order. And he goes on to say, listen to this very carefully. Disregard, ignore, or omit any part, and you start imperfection in the church. And if we should continue in that way, we would find ourselves like those of old, being led by error, superstition, ignorance, and by the cunning and craftiness of men. We would soon leave out here a little, little and there out a little, uh, a little, here a line and there a precept, until we become like the rest of the world, divided, disorganized, confused, and without knowledge, without revelation, inspiration, and without divine authority. Right there on page 149 of Gospel Doctrine. Okay, on page 196, there was a group of people that received the office of elder, but they never got in the priesthood. Now listen to this very carefully. They were called the men of sin, was revealed. And authority of the Melchizedek priesthood was manifested and conferred for the first time upon the several of the elders. We naturally conclude that there were that, that several who had previously been ordained elders had not yet received the spirit or power or authority of their ordinations, but that now for the first time the authority of the priesthood having been manifest, it fell upon them. This is the first time in history, it was an 1829 period of time, that there were people that were given the office of uh, the office of eldership, but they didn't have the priesthood until it fell upon this time. And when they just hold the office of eldership, they were called the men of sin. Now this is on page 196. I'm not making this stuff up. This is Gospel Doctrine, Sermons and Writings of Joseph S. Smith. Now as we open it up here, you can see when it was published. There, this is the 13th edition, Deseret Book, 1963. In fact, the church publishes it today. And uh, here it is, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant. And uh, if Heber J. Grant would have read this book, there would have been no confusion on the conferral of the priesthood. Here's another copy of a 1921 edition of the uh, Missionary Handbook. They called it the Elder's Manual at the time. And here you see it's a very rare old book, uh, the Elder's Manual. And here it is. It's published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in these different missions. And then as we flip flip through here, we'll go back to the page right here. 
to prove to you conferring the priesthood. And uh, right here it says uh, the Melchizedek priesthood by authority or in the authority of the holy Melchizedek holy priesthood and by the laying on of hands, I ordained you an elder or 70 or a high priest or patriarch or apostle as the case may be in the church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints and confer upon you all the rights, powers, and keys and authority pertaining to what? This office and calling in the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood in the name of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And uh, here we'll show you the correct version. This is the Missionary Handbook. It was uh, published here uh, 2000, right here, uh, 2002 a copy. So it's continuation today. And as you flip through the Missionary Handbook, it comes to this part right here. It says, Conferring the Priesthood and Ordaining to an Office. And here it gives you the procedures. Call the person by name and his full name. State that the ordinate, ordination is performed by the authority of the priesthood, which is all correct. And then they skip three in the years between 21 and, and uh, 57. And it says, ordained to a specific office in the, the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood and bestow the rights, powers, and authorities and add the words of the blessing. So this is the part they left out. Confer the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. So here you can see they just ordained into the office uh, and authority in uh, in the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. This is big news, people. This is, should be the number one topic at all priesthood meetings. Uh, nothing else should uh, come up except for this information. Of course, this is the 1946 edition of the Missionary Handbook. Now, I, I urge you to go to the BYU library and look it up for yourself, and you will see it clearly. And here, this one is the 1946 edition of the Missionary Handbook. Uh, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant. Of course, if he would have read Gospel Doctrine by his former president of the church, Joseph F. Smith, there would have been no confusion of this uh, priesthood organization, ordinations. But right here, ordaining to the Aaronic priesthood. And it says here that uh, I or we lay our hands upon your head and ordain you to deacon, okay, ordain you a deacon or teacher or priest in the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to what? This office and calling in the Aaronic Priesthood in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, that was the Aaronic Priesthood. So not only do we not have the Aaronic Priesthood given to us, but we don't even have the Melchizedek. And it says right here, I, are we ordained you, what? An elder uh, or whatever office they may be in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to this office and calling in the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Anyway, you can see right here, they never conferred the priesthood. And uh, you, why don't, you need to take a look at this. This is very, very important. For 36 years they did this. Okay, this is an extremely uh, important letter. It's dated June 20th, 1955. It's addressed to uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, the church office. And it says, Dear, Dear Brother Smith, it goes on. And let me focus this up so you can really get a good, good clear look at this thing. And here's the uh, June 20th, 1955, Joseph Fielding Smith. And it says, Dear Brother Smith, it says, Are you familiar with the teachings of President Joseph F. Smith regarding the conferring of the priesthood 
before ordaining to the office as recorded on page 196 of Gospel Doctrine. That page number is like the first edition of Gospel Doctrine. And then it goes on to say that the present method of ordaining an elder before conferring the priesthood has caused a little confusion in our group. And he goes on to say, Will you kindly enlighten me on this subject? He says, And if the present method is satisfactory, kindly give me the reason for the change. He never wrote back and gave him the reason for the change. And here's the Mont Woolley, there's his address and signature, and this is the response in Joseph S. Smith's own handwriting right here. And he says right here, Whom your bishop or president of the stake or anyone uh, else by appointment ordains a youth or man to the priesthood, he should confer the priesthood, whether a, a deacon or an elder, and, and then ordain to the office. Uh, when the priesthood is once conferred, it is not conferred again. And there it is, Joseph uh, Fielding Smith. You can see it all in his handwriting. He says, we just don't give him the office, we have to give him the priesthood. And look what it took place. 1955, this letter. And um, so in 1957, two years later, David O. McKay changed it back to the original way. So you can see this was a big, big problem before it was changed back. Keeping in mind that the period of time when there was no conferral of the priesthood between 1921 through 1957 in the LDS Church, consider the years that our current First Presidency and Twelve Apostles were born. Do a little simple math and add 20 years on to the date of their birthdays, which, which would be probably the earliest time of their ordinations. And it is evident that all of them, with one possible exception, fall into the critical time period when the priesthood conferral was non-existent. Hence, it is possible that all the First Presidency and Twelve Apostles are without any Melchizedek priesthood. What does the scripture say? It says you must have both the ordinances and the priesthood. And in DNC 84, 19-21, it says, And the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God, therefore in the ordinances thereof, and the power of godliness is manifest. And it says, And without the ordinances thereof, and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. So right there, DNC 84, 19-21. says, without ordinances and the priesthood, you can't see God or have revelation. And that's where we're at today. What does Isaiah say about uh, all this stuff that's going on today? It's about the people of the church. They transgress. And he says, this is a rebellious people that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, Speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. See, the people don't want to hear the truth. They, they want a seer that sees not. They want a prophet that doesn't prophet, prophesy right things. They want a prophet that speaks smooth things, that prophesies deceits, that wants to be the friends of the world. This is what the people of the church want. They don't want persecution. They don't want any of that. So let's see what Gordon B. Hinckley said in General Conference. This is directly out of page uh, 74, Enzyme, November 2001, Gordon B. Hinckley General Conference. Listen to what he says. 
fulfilling Isaiah. Quote, I do not wish to be an alarmist. I do not wish to be a prophet of doom. See, he wants to speak smooth things, just like Isaiah said. People don't want to hear negative things. They want to hear nothing but positive. Remember, negative and positive is part of our language, even though the scriptures say make yay, yay, and nay, nay your conversation. And we've completely gotten away from black and white issues, and everything is a feely word now, which is positive and negative. It has nothing to do with the truth, right and wrong. And then it goes on, and what did Isaiah say, continue saying? He says, for the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. See that? It's, uh, it's a freedom of choice God has given us. You can either follow your heart. If you follow sin, you'll follow the leader you want to be in its place. But here you're, for the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. And here you go. And this is why. Because this is a, peop this is a rebellious people that not, will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. And what is the outcome? The outcome is that the, that the leaders, leaders, along with the people, both of them are destroyed. So it's always happened throughout history. So what ordinances have we changed to cause the priesthood to be changed later on down the road? This is out of the, the readings in church history. This is published. This book here is published right from the church. And uh, right here you see, published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you flip the page. It says here, uh, copyrighted 1979, Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, we're going to go ahead and flip to uh, this, this revelation right here that should have been in the Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, this revelation here was through Wilford Woodruff. And let's see if we can get a close-up at it here. And it says right here, that the church attorneys were asked, uh, church attorneys asked the first presidency how to pro how proper it would be to make statements in court about the endowment and about instructions that have been given to discontinue the solemnization of full marriage. And it says right here that the questions was taken to President Woodruff, who made it a matter of prayer. And then on this date, November 24, 1889, he dictated the following revelation to his clerk. Now, this, how come this is not in the Doctrine and Covenants? It's not. It says, This saith the Lord. And it goes on, and it says here, That not my servants, who are called by the presidency of my church, deny my word or my law, which concerns the salvation of the children of men. And that was the revelation of uh, plural marriage uh, that he was talking about says, place not yourself in jeopardy to your enemies by promise, or, you, or by promise your enemies seek your destruction and the destruction of my people if the saints will hearken to my voice and the counsel of my servants. So he says, whatever you do, don't, don't sign any document uh, with your enemies. And uh, with the state of Utah forced them to give up plural marriage, which is the uh, manifesto that happened in 1890, which we'll get into that. And then uh, it goes on to say, on this side of the page, you make it quickly here. It says, quote, The United States government has taken a stand and passed laws. Can you see that? Passed laws to destroy the Latter-day Saints on the subject of polygamy. So you can see here how the United States laws made to destroy the uh, everlasting covenant. Get this. 
we're going to get into Isaiah's prophecy again, where they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Now we're going to point to you, what is the everlasting covenant? Okay, here's another prophecy. This is uh, section uh, 1, chapter heading. And here, if you read the chapter heading of, of section 1 of the DNC, it says, quote, Apostasy and wickedness proceeds the second coming. It says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith on November 1st, 1831. And then, so, so sometime between 1831, when this revelation was given, and the second coming, apostasy and wickedness will precede the second coming. I'm just reading this right out of the DNC. You can follow. Now, DNC section 1, verse 15. Listen to what it says. For they have strayed from my ordinances and have broken my everlasting covenant. See the footnote uh, where it says they have strayed at the bottom of the page, and it says Isaiah chapter 24, chapter heading. And men shall transgress the law and break the everlasting covenant. At the second coming, they shall be burned. Then it goes on to say, and this is what I just read you, uh, Isaiah 24, then it says they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and broke the everlasting covenant, Isaiah says. Now listen to what DNC 1 goes on to say. Verse 22. That my everlasting covenant might be established. Hasn't yet. He says it might be established. Then on verse 23. That the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed. It's going to. It hasn't happened yet. So he's saying it's going to happen. And now we see in section 132. The fullness everlasting covenant is revealed. Listen to this. Verse 1 of 132. The principle and doctrine of having many wives and concubines. Behold and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. Listen. Therefore prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. So he's just about he's going to give it to him right now. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. And it says for behold, I reveal unto you a new and, and a everlasting covenant. And if ye abide not that covenant, then what? Then you are damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. Then he says in verse 6, And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory, and he that receiveth the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law, or he shall be damned, saith the Lord. So we see the fullness of the gospel is the doctrine of having many wives and concubines. Apostasy and wickedness will precede the second coming, happened officially on October 6, 1890. See the official... Uh, Declaration 1, and if you buy not that covenant, then you are damned, for no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter my glory. Fulfilling, you have to read these, this is going to shock you. This here fulfilled, rejecting the everlasting covenant, fulfilling DNC 115, as prophesied, fulfilling Isaiah 24, 5, and fulfilling 3 Nephi chapter 16, verse 10. All of these have predicted that we will reject the everlasting covenant. Now you know what it is, it's plural marriage. And without plural marriage, it says, And if ye abide not that covenant, then ye are damned, for no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. So this is the fullness of the gospel. And what does it say in Hosea chapter 8, verse 14? It says, For Israel hath forgotten his maker, and still buildeth temples. 
So here it's, we're kind of repeating history again. Here Israel forgotten its maker and built a temple. So we continue. To, it's just amazing how history repeats. Okay, pay very, very close attention to this. This is very important scripture. This is out of Third uh, Nephi, chapter 27, verses 8 through 11. Everybody quotes this first part. And how be it my church, save it be called in my name. It says, for it, if it be a church be called in Moses' name, then it is Moses' church. It says, if it be called in the name of a man, then it is the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church. Listen, if, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. And then he goes on and he says in verse 2, and if it so be that the church is built upon my gospel. And then it goes on again in verse 3, but if it be not built upon my gospel and is built upon the works of men or upon the works of the devil, verily I say unto you that they have joy in their works for a season. He goes on, and by and by in the end cometh, and they are hewn down and cast into the fire from whence there is no return. See that? He warned us three times. So what if it's called in my name? But if, it's very important, if you change his gospel, he warns us like, whoa, 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 three times. Listen to this summary. If, 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 three times is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Lord is warning us that even though his church is in his name, and if it is not built upon his gospel, you may have joy in this life in your works of baptism, temple work, etc. for a season, but without priesthood and doing the works of Cain, i.e. participating in changed and altered ordinances, you may have joy in your willfully ignorant little world for a little season, that when you die you are cast into the fire from whence there is no return. That's a summary of this scripture. You need to ponder this very scripture very clearly and read what happens if you change the gospel or the priesthood or the ordinances and you continue in your works. And then after your works will be cast down. And so this is a clear, blunt warning in the Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 27, 8 through 10. Okay, let's see where we're at today. According to 3 Nephi 22, Let's read on. It says, LDS apostasy, today living in a scattered condition. Remember, we're not living in a gathered condition. We're in a scattered condition. Very important. It says, before the gathering, okay, we're not there yet, the Lord is in hiding. So we go here and read 3 Nephi 22, chapter heading, and it says, In the last days, Zion and her state shall be established, and the Israel shall be gathered. Okay, we're, get, we're going to be gathered one day. But listen to this. In mercy and tenderness, and they shall triumph. Compare Isaiah 54. Listen, 3 Nephi 22, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, the Lord says, For a small moment I have forsaken thee. He says, But with great mercies I will, will what? Scatter thee? No, I will gather thee. See, we're living in a scattered condition right now. He says, I will gather thee. And he says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a little moment. From thee for a moment. So right now he's saying he's in hiding. And uh, so, and then it goes on here. And it says uh, in, in D&C 105, 9 through 13, 
It says, therefore, in consequence of the transgression of my people. How did the people transgress? Here it is, the prophecy being fulfilled. In consequence of the transgression of my people, it is expedient in me that my elders, the office of the elder, should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. Now, he says wait. He didn't say that there's some little organization out there that's already existing that we should go out and seek for it. He says right here, he says that my elders should what? Wait. Does, you want to look up the definition of wait? It doesn't mean there's a little clan or group out there saying, oh, come join me. We got the priesthood. We know what's going on in the authority. It says wait for a little season for what? For the redemption of Zion. Listen, why? And this cannot be brought to pass until my elders are what? Endowed with power from on high. See, why would the elders have to wait for endowment? Maybe because they haven't had the endowment, okay, with power on on high. For behold, I have prepared a great endowment. See that? Why do we have an endowment now? Why is he preparing a great endowment? Because the elders need the priesthood and be their ordinances be re reestablished. Therefore, is it expedient me that my elders should, what? It says, wait, again, for what? A little season for what? The redemption of Zion. And so in the meantime, don't do the works of Cain. And that's uh, the reason I say don't do the works of Cain is because, remember, Cain is the one who put uh, herbs and stuff on an altar and uh, instead of a lamb like uh, Abel did, and he's the one who broke the uh, ordinances first. And then it made him fail, and then he went ahead and uh, killed Abel later. So it's the first thing is first. Breaking the ordinances is first, and then everything else follows. Let's look at this, too. Let's go to...
Do you? 